Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Welcome to Gardening Today on News Radio 1040 WHO. Aaron Style and Jessica Krupico with you here on this very sunny, kind of hot Sunday morning. It is June and uh, it is definitely summer out there. We are in our little heat wave, and I'm yeah. sure all, I'm sure all of our gardening friends out there have been busy watering quite frequently, maybe mm-hmm. holding off on some transplanting and. Oh, the Weeding. weeds. <laughs> yes. The weeds. There's so many weeds. They Well, all plants love growing in this kind of weather. I mean, it, when it gets really, really hot, a lot of them slow down. But it's been, uh, you know, warm, and, and we've had, for the most part, uh, a good level of moisture this spring. And so uh, all plants, including the weeds, seem to really want to take off. I know I was gone for a week and uh, came back to, um, you know, I had somebody watering while I was gone, so that sure. was good. But I came back to some some weeds for sure. Ah, is that <laughs> what you're going to be doing today, or are you going to wait a couple days? I don't know. I, I really want to get, get it taken care of as soon as possible, but I have to make sure I do it. You know, it, it is warm out, and so I have to make sure that, you know, I, I, I protect myself too. Uh, make sure I've got my sunblock on and my. I have a lot of insects, mosquitoes in my backyard, okay, um, sure. so I got to make sure I have the insect repellent on and um, drink plenty of water, all that good stuff. Yes. Do you, do you have a well, something that I'm working on? I'm trying to find the perfect gardening summer hat. <laughs> do you I, have something like I that? Don't. I don't. I you know okay. I probably should wear uh, a hat more often. It, it would be good. Uh, to do that and and uh, but I don't I don't have a, a good garden hat. I'm now. on the hunt, so I'm going to turn up the hunt a little more serious lately. After <laughs> I was nursing a sunburn back when you were gone, yeah. just a couple of days ago when that heat wave first started, and paying the price a little bit now, but it'll be fine. It'll yeah, be fine. well, a good wide brimmed hat is always a good idea out in the sun, and you know many of the many of the staff and the students at Ryman Gardens that work out all day. One, they start early in the morning. They're out there mm-hmm. at 6.30. And uh, two, a lot of them do wear, I mean, they wear copious amounts of sunblock, but many of them wear hats and sunglasses uh, while they're outside because it is it is good for you. Mm-hmm. You just got to remember to and, and find that, that hat that you like and can wear. Yes. Yes, of <laughs> course. It's a challenge, but it'll happen hopefully soon. So I hear you have been uh, transitioning uh, over to a summer garden here. You got rid of a bunch of spring stuff, right? We have been. You know, with these hot temperatures, it often means that that's the end of the greens uh, for us until possibly oh, fall. Oh, like lettuce and spinach and all yes. that stuff. And, you know, maybe you've noticed this in your own gardens as well. Maybe you haven't quite yet. Um, but we tasted some of the lettuce and spinach and some of the other greens, and mm-hmm. they were really bitter, which is hot temperatures, you know, even like a little bit of lack of moisture and causes that plant to bolt and mature. And then at that point, just rip it out and plant something else. Yeah. What are you putting in this place? We're doing more green beans. Oh, yeah. That's a nice short term mm-hmm. crop. You get a little later 
later crop in the season, which is always nice. Yes. Okay. And they're so delicious anyway. Fresh mm-hmm. green beans are the best. And I guess that's your reward for all the tedious picking that you have to do for them. And you have to think about. <laughs> and like every day, right? I mean, if you let them go, especially this time of year, if you let them go, all of a sudden they turn from. Because normally you want to harvest them when they're like pencil sized. Yes. And uh, if you let them go just a couple of days, all of a sudden they're just big, seedy, lumpy. You can see the pods mm-hmm. and those are no good. Those yeah, are compost. Those aren't, those aren't as tasty at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to remind folks that uh, we are also here not only to talk about gardening and what's going on in our lives and and uh, what might be going on in yours, but here to answer your questions as well. 1-800-469-4295. That's 1-800-469-4295. If you want to call us here from the local Des Moines area, 284-1040 is the number to call. That's 284-1040. I do have... The text line open to 515-989-1040. If you'd rather send us a text, we'd love to hear from you any of those ways and answer any questions that are going on in your garden. I know for me, what's going on in my garden right now is weeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to deadhead. I got a lot of iris, uh, peony, uh, some of that stuff that needs to be uh, the old flowers need to be removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have some of my great summer things just starting to come on. And one of them there are roses. Mm-hmm. My, I have, I have several roses, uh, different kinds in my yard. And, of course, up at Ryman Gardens, we have hundreds of roses. And they are gorgeous. Yes. The, and this is the kind of the time of year uh, for roses. And, and they're looking pretty good. But as they bloom, many of the modern roses that you find in the stores today, uh, many of them will continue to bloom all summer. If you deadhead. So um, if you do that, maybe make that a once a week kind of task out in the garden. I won't call it a chore because it's fun, Um, but make it a task out in the garden to remove the dead flowers off of roses. It'll keep them blooming uh, most of the summer. Yes, of course. So look out. You know, if you're thinking of using a new rose in your garden, maybe some of the knockouts are great as well Mm. as I just planted a few Easy Elegance from Bailey Nurseries. Oh, some we of, should. Some of those are great too. We should talk about some of those, but let's yep. go to John's question here. Uh, John has a question about some hedges. Good morning, John. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, uh, we have a, uh, a four-season room that's uh, rather close to my neighbor's outdoor uh, living area. It's on the west side of our house, and I've been looking at some fast-growing options for some privacy. Uh, I've been looking at viburnum and lilac and some of those kind of standard things, and I just wondered if you had any other ideas of what might be a fairly fast-growing hedge. Uh, I do kind of like to feed the birds also, but mm-hmm. uh, just something that might grow fairly quickly and give relative privacy through the four seasons. Yeah. Well, um, do you have a lot of deer pressure? Uh, a little bit, but... Um, yeah, I would say moderate, probably. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because one of the one of the classic hedge plants is are arborvitae, um, but they are mm-hmm. a deer uh, delicacy, especially over the winter right. months. So yes, if you have yeah, a lot of deer were... pressure, that's not always a great choice. Okay. The one thing I will suggest, and and this, I don't know what the look is that you're going for, but in most cases, a hedge that is uh, diverse is going to be much better than one plant the whole length. And the reason I say that is because um, if something were to happen to that, like say a disease or an insect pressure comes in, rather than losing the entire hedge and all of your privacy, you may only lose a spot here or there. So 
creating a hedge with several different types of plants. Maybe you use um, lilac as a great hedge. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the lilacs make a, a very nice hedge. Um, a lot of viburnums make excellent hedges. I personally like uh, arrowwood viburnum mm-hmm. as a good option, but there are others sure. available. There are a couple different um, a couple different evergreen types, but you know most of these deciduous shrubs are are twiggy enough and produce berries and other things that birds really like. And birds can use a shelter uh, that sure. uh, they don't have to be evergreen. I think sometimes folks mm-hmm. think hedges have to be evergreen. Okay. Um, and that's not necessarily the the case, I would say. There's some other plants out there that you'll run across that people use in hedges that maybe aren't my favorite, but are possibilities. Things like burning bush, maybe forsythia, okay. um, forsythia, uh, privet. Uh, the reason I don't love, especially uh, something like burning bush, is it is a plant that is starting to show up in our woodlands. Um, it is not native, and so um, and it is a little overplanted in the traditional suburban landscape and so i kind of shy away from that but it does make a good hedge Uh, so that's always an option too forsythia is nice um and i'm trying to think i just had another one in my head and i lost it (laughs) and and we're we're going for something that'll get to you know eight or ten feet tall and you think most of those viburnum varieties yes the lilacs would get up there if we just left them alone yeah absolutely that that is their that is their height range okay all right well that's very helpful i appreciate it yeah good luck with that Okay, thank you. Thanks, John. I think, uh, um, oh, now I, I'm really disappointed. I just I had a great, <laughs> another great one. Oh, barberry is the other one that yes. people sometimes use for hedges. It's the most unfriendly hedge you could ever think of, really thorny. Depends and on how you view your relationship with your neighbors, right? I know, right? And <laughs> it is also, much like burning bush, that's what made me think of it. Much mm-hmm. like burning bush, it is one of those that has the potential of spreading uh, as a non-native, and so uh, there are certain parts of the country, especially on the uh, in the northeast, on the east coast, where these plants are all but um, put on the noxious weed list or banned mm-hmm. uh, from sales because of their invasiveness. We haven't seen it to that level yet here in the Midwest. Of course, our weather conditions are a little bit different <laughs> than the northeast, but it is something to take into account, and so um, having and using some of those others, like lilac is a nice one, even though it's not native. Uh, it makes a nice hedge. Um, what else do I have in Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My hedge. A lot of the viburnums are great. Just about any viburnum. I have a whole hedge worth of viburnum. We uh, have, uh, yeah, we have boxwoods at home that have been doing really well. We've actually mm. just been starting starting. Yeah, that's more. a good short hedge. Exactly. Yeah, if you want to do something smaller, um, that would be a good one, too. Yeah. Junipers make good hedges. Um, Arborvitaes make good hedges. So hopefully that helps out John there in his quest. Uh, And I really, you know, I I say this actually from experience. I have, when I moved into my house, I had a lovely hedge that ran about 30 feet of uh, wayfaring tree viburnum. 
Um, it was a, it was wonderful. It's a semi evergreen. It holds on to its leaves for a pretty long time. It flowers. It has wonderful fruit. It was a bird uh, oasis in my backyard. Um, but I do have a little issue with verticillium wilt now, and I'm losing my hedge spotting. You know, it's all spotty, and and I'm losing it here and there and everywhere, uh, which is really disappointing. Because mm-hmm. I'm losing all of it instead of just one plant here or there. And mm-hmm. so now I'm replacing it with a lot of different things. And also it's kind of my like thing to get more plants in my yard because I like <laughs> I like diversity. So I got all sorts of stuff. I planted, uh, I think, a hazelnuts in there. Um, I have an ironwood in there. I'm using some small trees too. So I'm um, trying to mix it up some so I don't ever run into this issue again. But it has a very different look than... Um, than just that classic, clean, um, uniform hedge. That's what some folks really like. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And I see we have Pam join us on the line. Good morning, Hello. Pam. How can we help Good. you? Good morning. Uh, we have several burning bushes around our house, and um, some of them are touching the house, and we kind of want to trim them away from that. Mm-hmm. Can we do that now? Um, you can do some light pruning now. It's not a, a huge issue. Most of the time we don't recommend pruning plants in uh, late summer into fall. Um, but this time of year, especially if it's stuff that's really bothering you and it's not an extensive amount, it, it, and especially on a plant like burning bush, which is so vigorous and, and doesn't have a lot of issues, uh, you'll probably be fine. Of course, ideally, we would prune anything um, in late spring. Um, or I'm sorry, late winter, early spring. But uh, if you need to do it now, mm-hmm. if it's as long as you're not like uh, you're not like uh, doing a whole bunch, right? This is just a branch here or there. Well, yeah, more or less. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the other the other exception to that rule is a lot of people trim hedges in the very early part of summer too. So if you're doing that box or gumball thing, this would be the time you'd probably do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if okay. you're just All right. if you're just pruning a branch here or there, no problem, Pam. All right, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I know the um well, maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. We have to take a break. Yes. So uh we'll listen to a few words from our sponsors and we'll be back to talk more about roses and talk more about what might be going on in your summer garden here on Gardening Today. News Radio ten forty WHO Welcome back to Gardening Today. Jessica Krupika here in the studio along with Aaron Style on this nice and steamy summer day. Yeah, so it's summertime. It officially is. Well, we had a, a listener that had a question about a purple ash tree and about possibly pruning it maybe at this time of the year, just needing some guidance on that. Yeah. And what do you think, Aaron? Well, he, he had mentioned that um, he had heard from someone that downward facing branches means they need to be pruned. And... Um, that is kind of one of those yes and no uh, in terms of that answer. No, they don't need to be pruned. Yes, they do need to be pruned to get out of your way. Yes. So um, it's not something that the, the plant absolutely requires. In fact, there are some types of plants where they naturally have downward-facing uh, branches. The one that uh, comes to mind uh, most notably is a pin oak, which mm-hmm. has very uh, a very distinctive uh, kind of architecture where the lower branches swoop down, the upper branches go up, and the middle ones go straight out. And so you will always have branches that swoop down on a plant like that. And and uh, autumn purple ash 
which is a fairly common uh, street tree, uh, suburban yard tree uh, that's all over the place, uh, can have some branches that are moving downward. This time of year, in general, my recommendation is only prune if you have to. So if you have a branch that's whack in your car every time you pull into the driveway, if you have a branch that broke off in a storm, uh, those are the things that you would do this time of year. Otherwise, if it's not critical... Uh, save it for late winter. Yes, because if you have those open wounds on a tree that you just, you know, just did because you had some time and you felt like pruning it up at this time of the year, it's more su- uh, susceptible to insect damage and everything like that. So just wait until the cooler temperatures and, you know, yeah. late fall, early spring, and and you'll be in good shape. And you know, they've done some research on this on how uh, plants recover from the wound that's created when you make a pruning cut. And uh, certainly uh, they have the hardest time. I think some of the worst time is typically September, October, November, because there's not enough time for that tree to grow and recover from that wound before winter comes. And so they really get set back behind. And they've done some studies, and they show that those that are pruned in, like, June tend to do okay. Um, But uh, it's... It's this idea of, you know, if you're riding around on your mower and it just drives you crazy, then you can do it. But if you can put up with it, you're probably going to be better off to wait until next March uh, to get it done. Um, And, of course, if it's broken, uh, it's always a good idea to clean that up uh, because a nice clean cut is easier for the tree to cover over than one uh, that's broken off. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that helps out that listener um, as they're as they're dealing with their tree this time of year. Yes. A lot of pruning (laughs) questions. People are out and about trying to be busy in their garden. Well, yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the other thing that happens is is everything gets all flushed out, and and all of a sudden we realize, oh, there's a lot more of this plant here than I thought there was. Uh, And so you kind of get this this urge to do it. And and, uh, it's not the end of the world if you do. And there are some plants like lilac that we recommend that you prune right after flowering, which would be... Um, you know, the last couple of weeks. So uh, it's certainly not the worst time to prune, but probably not the most recommended. Yes, Mm -hmm. of course. Well, I want to remind folks, too, if you have other questions, we would love to hear from you. 1-800-469-4295. In the local Des Moines area, call us at 284-1040. And you can always send us a text, too, 515-989-989. 1040 is the number to text. We'd love to hear from you uh, and hear what's going on in your yard, answer any questions you might have. And Jessica, I hear you were, this is rose season. I hear you were rose shopping. I was, you know, and I've been trying to get this landscape kind of under control for quite some time. And I finally started, started the process and started the project. (laughs) And I I ended up picking up, um, a couple of flower carpet amber roses, which okay. are really nice. I like them because they have the fragrance, and they're one of the only flower carpets that do have the fragrance. And then, of course, I'm a sucker for anything in that peach orange color. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also ended up uh, adding a few of the Easy Elegance roses. They're more disease resistant. Uh, they bloom really well if you deadhead like we talked about earlier. Yeah. So those are the couple of new additions to our, our landscape project that we've been working on. You know, we have uh, a lot of roses up at Ryman Gardens, and I have a fair number in my own yard. I'm just realizing uh, as we were talking about roses, and, and I'm like walking, mentally walking through my garden and realizing, oh, you know, I have I have a hand, at least a handful of different roses 
And uh, it is really important, I think, for most gardeners, unless you're producing something uh, that you're going to take to the state fair or, or something like that. Most of us don't really want to deal with the hassles of the some of the older hybrid teas and Floribunda, Grandiflora-type roses that are so susceptible to things like black spot and powdery mildew that cause them to just become these thorny, gross uh, canes by the end of the summer or even by midsummer mm-hmm. or even by now on some of the really bad ones. Yes. So uh, making sure that you select roses that are naturally resistant to those diseases, especially black spot, especially powdery mildew, but others too, and uh, making sure that they are also naturally winter hardy because overwintering roses here in Iowa that aren't winter hardy is a lot of work. And uh, for most of us, it's not a a chore that we're going to want to do. And there are so many great roses out there now that you don't have to do that with. Mm-hmm. My, um, I, of course, am a little partial to those that were developed by Dr. Buck up at Iowa State, the Buck Roses, uh, mostly because, you know, I manage the national collection of Buck Roses that we hold there. But, and there are some really nice ones. Not, um, you know, some of Dr. Buck's roses are better than others. Uh, Carefree Beauty is the most obvious one that every. Everybody who knows roses knows this Dr. Bucks, but there are a few others out there that are really nice if you can find them. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Developed here in Iowa. At Iowa State, they do really well over the winter. They have uh, really decent disease resistance. Um, one of my favorites is one called Distant Drums. Mm-hmm. That one's in my yard. That's in that color palette that exactly. you like so much. It has a really nice kind of spicy fragrance, too. There are a lot of roses where, the unfortunately, the scent has been bred out of them. And it's like, you know, roses... Roses smell good. You should have roses that smell good in your yard. So um, Distant Drums is a nice one. The other one I like is Folk Singer, um, which is a really um, uh, gets to be somewhat large, really nice, um, really nice rose that Dr. Buck developed. Mm-hmm. The ones that you had on your list were really nice, too, that you got for your yard. I also like um, the Easy Elegance series. Those were roses that were bred up at Bailey Nurseries in Minnesota, so they're pretty they're pretty hardy, that's yes. for sure, and most of them are very disease-resistant. Um, I have one called Little Mischief, which is a shorter one, a much smaller plant, um, and it's really thorny, which is, I think, where its name got fr- it, it got its name from because it, it is a, a thorny little shrub. It is. Uh, but it has these wonderful little um, uh, pink, pinkish-red flowers on it that are so cute. Yes. And it blooms most of the season, which, yes. is, which is really great. So there's... There's, you know, there. Um, what were the roses you were looking for? You were having a hard time you know, finding. I was. I always love the David Austin English roses. You know, the oh, huge, yeah. just hundreds of petals on these. The fragrance is amazing. I was just having a really hard time finding them. So I, and of course, they're a little fussier than the average. Easy elegance, you know, proven winner, flower carpet, knockout, all of those types of roses. So I thought I could manage them, but I finally just decided and. My landscape's going to look a whole lot better if I possibly don't include them. Yeah. So I moved on. 
you moved, moved on. on. Yes. <laughs> and the other thing to look for in roses, you know, a lot of the old old varieties, um, the kinds that you would see maybe on an old farm somewhere, tend to be very one seasonal. And many of the newer roses bloom all summer. And some of them will bloom even better all summer if you deadhead them. And some of them will still bloom fairly well even without deadheading. So keep that in mind as you're looking for roses. Make sure you pick one that's touted as blooming all summer. You might as well enjoy it all summer because there are roses out there that do that. Mm -hmm. So you might as well get those. Um, We get a lot of questions about climbing roses. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any at home? No, I don't. So, um, you know, climbing roses are basically just really big roses that need some support. And, of course, uh, there are a lot of different kinds out there, and many of them aren't very well suited for Iowa. Uh, And so often um, when anybody ever asks me about a climbing rose, there's one called William Baffin that uh, is a very nice climbing rose that is very cold-hardy and does well for us here in Iowa. has wonderful kind of single to double-ish pink blooms Mm -hmm. um, that would be blooming probably this week if it were in your yard. Yes, there's also Blaze, which is a nice one. Oh, yeah. You want the red. Uh Uh-huh. And then, um, like, Don Juan is another one. So, I mean, there's a few out there that do well, but it's a lot of work to to prepare those for winter. Oh, because they don't overwinter very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would would highly suggest, if you want a climbing rose, to find one that's hardy to to zone four. Mm -hmm. So... Hopefully that helps folks out in their quest as they're walking through the garden centers. Yes. All right. So we need to take our next break. We'll be back to talk more gardening here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040 WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Jessica Krupika and Aaron Style with you this weekend. We wanted to remind our listeners out there, we want to hear what's going on. Maybe you have a question for us about something in your yard or garden. We'd love to hear from you. 1-800-469-4295. If you are in the local Des Moines area, it is 284-1040. Or if you'd prefer to send us a text, we have our text line open at 515-989-1040. With that, we have uh, Patrick on the line with a question about a peach tree. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How can we help you? Uh, yeah, I sent you guys a picture on your text line of uh, some peach tree leaves that I have in, on my property. Uh, don't know quite what's wrong with them or whether that's supposed to be normal or not. Uh, they did flower this year, and I do have probably two peaches per tree, so which I'm pretty happy about. When, uh, when did you plant these trees? Uh, it's been about five years ago. Okay. And did you get good, good crops in the last uh, couple of years? No, no, they've never flowered. (laughs) Hmm. So, So, Jessica, have you been able to see this picture yet? I I haven't yet been able to open your your photo here yet, but can you describe, so the folks that are listening, can you describe what's going on? Yep, yep. They, I mean, they're green from the stem out, and then at the tip of the, the tip of the leaves, they turn red, and they curl up really, really tight, kind of like a, oh, like cauliflower ear, Mm -hmm. you get when, when you're wrestling. I guess that's my best way to describe it. Yeah, and there it is. So there is uh, a disease that's called peach leaf curl, mm-hmm. and it looks a lot like what you're describing. Um, <laughs> it is. It's caused by a fungus, um, and it can really, it can be really hard on the plant, uh, and really impact negatively 
the fruit set on it because it puts the plant under a lot of stress since it loses so many of its leaves. A lot of the leaves will fall off. Is that what's happening for you too? Uh, yeah. Towards the end of the summer, yeah, they do. They do pretty much. They're all gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the best thing to do for that, um, in terms of that is to make sure that you have a good, um, a good, uh, fungicide application, but it has to be at the right time. This time now that you're seeing the damage is not going to be very effective, uh, to apply that fungicide. And, uh, typically what they recommend is that you would apply, um, apply it when the buds begin to swell in the spring. So knowing that this has happened several years in a row, you can probably anticipate it will happen again next year. Um, and that's one of the challenges with fungal diseases is that, uh, typically you have to, you, you have to approach them preventatively rather than in a reactionary kind of way. Um, so a bud swell is typically the best time to do a fungicide application. And you can, some folks do recommend doing it in the fall as well about, um, about the time when 90 or nearly all of the leaves have fallen off, or in your case, maybe would have fallen off in the fall. Okay. So um, timing that application for that. Um, fi- and I don't, um, off the top of my head, I'm, I have to do a little bit of digging and figure out what would be the best uh, fungicide. But I think most fungicides rated for uh, fruit trees would be okay. And if you wanted to take an organic approach, you could do that as well using um, something like that, but, uh, it's, it's all about the timing here. So doing it at bud, bud swell is going to be probably your best bet. Okay. All right. Thank you. Good luck. All right. So, uh, that's, uh, um, yeah, that's a tough situation to be in. The peach leaf curl, yep. I haven't experienced that with our own. We planted a peach or, a peach orchard not very long ago, and hopefully we don't want to come across that. But also I would suggest maybe to get rid of those leaves and, you know, be sure oh, to yeah, that's prune a good idea. your, you know, mm-hmm. disinfect your pruners, maybe get rid of those leaves, just rake up and remove them. Yeah, that mm-hmm. stuff can help too. Although usually in a tree, that's not as big of an issue, but every little bit helps. Yes. Every little bit helps. Okay, we have Mary here on the line. Good morning, Mary. You're on WHO. Good morning. I have a sort of a belated question about apple trees. Um, I understand from the folks that planted them about 20 years ago, they're semi-dwarf and yellow and red delicious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the limbs have died, uh, totally died. Is it okay? I don't necessarily mean today, but while it's so extremely hot, but um, later on yet this this year, would it be okay to cut those dead limbs out? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you could do it today. Anything that's dead can be removed, um, and you and you might be better off uh, doing it earlier rather than later, just because it'll give. So that branch is dead. Uh, the tree is not putting any more energy towards that part of the plant. But uh, if you can cut off that dead branch, you can hopefully get this growing season to help uh, seal off. That, that area in hopes of getting the tree to recover. So uh, that's the one thing I also meant when we were talking about pruning earlier. If it's dead, you can always prune it out any time okay. of the year if it's dead. Okay. And one of them, there's probably more dead than, than alive. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still okay to go ahead and cut that dead out and just see what happens to the part that is growing. Yeah, um, you could do that. Um, I would say as long as it doesn't 
it doesn't uh, severely impact the structure of the tree. Um, if if it's really not looking very good, um, it would be better to do it now than say in the fall. But if you think it can wait until late spring in that situation, or I'm sorry, late winter, uh, March, um, then uh, I would wait till then. Okay, and then one other question, mm-hmm. still in the same area. Um, they got one of these planted too close to a to a uh, storage building, and the only thing that it really impacts is getting um, getting into the building. Um, if you were to, instead of pruning like you should, if you were to cut the length of some of the limbs on that on one side. Uh, I know that doesn't sound like a good practice. Well, kind of like heading it back. Well, uh, on the, on the side, not necessarily the top. Okay. Typically, the best place to remove a branch is at its point of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you can do that, um, that would probably be your best bet. Even if it is branches kind of coming off of other branches on the side of the plant. Um, any time that you cut it back, say, part way, you're going to force buds to break out right behind your cut. And those buds, if they're not well attached, are going to be more prone to breakage, which is an important consideration in a fruit tree because those branches get really heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you can remove it back to a point of origin to help give you the clearance that you need, that would be better than cutting it back, say, midway. Okay. But um, as you started into this, if it appeared that you were going to, oh, what do I want to say, need to take a good percentage of the limbs off on one side, Mm -hmm. that would not be good, I would assume. No, and I would wait. If you can wait until March to do that, I would do that, and if especially if it's more than, say, um, a quarter of the plant, I would definitely wait until then, and certainly, hopefully, it's not more than a third of the plant in total. And if it is, maybe consider, I don't know how healthy the plants are. If they're really healthy, you could maybe do a little bit more. But if it's more than a third of the total mass, you might consider breaking it into two pieces over two years. Okay. All righty. Thank you for the help. Yeah. Good luck with that, Mary. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Yep. Yeah, that's a tough situation when you get into a spot where uh, that stuff gets in the way. And it's hard to ignore it all season, and, and you know, especially if you have to walk by it all the time. And, it, mm-hmm. and what, what I was wondering if she, that she didn't bring up either is I would prune it back if it's rubbing against the building and causing damage to the plant and the sure. building. Sure. Uh, because then what's happening is you're opening up a wound on the plant by the rubbing, uh, and that could be really problematic too. So That could be more um, severe instead of just one cut. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, this one this one might be a good one here. We had a text that came in from a listener in Wayne, Nebraska, or at least their phones from Wayne, Nebraska. Okay. So they have, uh, I had beautiful tulips from bulbs planted uh, last fall. I clipped the heads off after blooming. That's great. They deadheaded. Now with the heat, the foliage is turning brown. How aggressive do I water and fertilize these bulbs so they can be great for next spring? Well, I would just let that go naturally, mm-hmm. and then um, you can even clip that back once it's dry and brown. Yep. Uh, because then that is going to put the energy into the root, into the bulb, instead, you know, for next year. And now is about the time I would expect these plants to start turning yellow and brown, and mm-hmm. and there's no need to keep pushing them along. Um, they'll they'll do a pretty good job all on their own. So I don't think you need to do anything. And and as soon as those leaves get so 
either brown and crispy or just so brown and ugly you can't stand to look at them anymore. You can cut them off. Uh, but the longer you can let them there, um, the better for the bulb. And uh, uh, most tulips, well, it depends on the kind of tulip that you have. A lot of tulips are not the greatest perennials, but you should at least get two or three years of nice display out of them. Others are great perennials. They tend to be um, not the hybrids, though, that we're so used to seeing in the store. They tend to be more what people call the species-type tulips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure which type they have. I suspect it's the hybrid type. Um, but uh, this is about the time of year I'd expect those leaves to look exactly like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no need to um, water or anything like that. In fact, you might um, accidentally overwater, which would be much worse for a bulb than just letting it be. Yes, I agree completely. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break. Uh, Join us uh, after the break. 1-800-469-4295 is the number to call. We'd love to hear from you. These are a couple of messages, and we'll be back to talk more gardening on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome back on this hot and sunny Hopefully the end of the heat wave. This is Jessica Krupika. I don't know. I think we have a lot of heat wave left. I'm so tired of it. (laughs) My plants are tired of it too. All of July and all of August. I know. I know. No, my in-laws are here from Arizona. I think they brought it with. So you can direct all complaints to them, I guess. (laughs) It's all good. That's great. So, Um, You know, it's interesting. Uh, We've been talking about... um, just all sorts of different things here this hour and, and, uh, answering folks questions. And, um, one of the things that I, I know happens every year and it just gets away from me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one out there is this time of year is when I realize, holy cow, I got a lot of weeds to deal with. I, I do. I have a lot of weeds to deal with in certain spots in my garden. Um, the ones that I've been, that I've been doing a good job of, of mulching and planting and and whatever that those are good but i gotta go i got a couple areas i gotta do something about (laughs) so like what kind of weeds are in there like what what are we dealing with here Aaron? most well most of it is actually stuff that um i call weeds and was actually planted there um that i i'm trying to get under control um i have some uh and i know folks who listen to the show regularly know that i have um this issue i have a creeping bellflower which uh is just everywhere Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to get it under control um and that's uh, a little out of control right now it's got a really pretty flower on it so it's a pretty weed but it's just so aggressive and it's spreading and it just doesn't work well in my garden um and the same is true with um what is affectionately called the ditch daylily. I have some of that too. <laughs> Another very aggressive spreader and uh, can overwhelm an area if you're not careful. So I'm just, those are the ones that I'm really dealing the most with and, and trying to manage and, and, and figure out. So. And if you remember back in horticulture days, long, long time ago, it, like Dr. Gladden would always say, a weed is a plant out of place. <laughs> so Goldstrom, uh, day, uh, Goldstrom Rudbeckias are my plants out of place right now. And I have some flocks that's getting a little obnoxious that oh, I need to move. Yeah. But, you know, all in all, those make great cut flowers sometimes. But, I've, you know, I mean, Eileen and I talked about a couple weeks ago that, you know, sometimes you got to let plants go and move on and try something different and put something else in its I place know. that's going to perform better for you. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. and it takes a while. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but I can be patient. It's okay. 
Um, yes. Well, we did get a text in from a listener in uh, Story County. They have sycamore trees that are looking badly, losing leaves and browning. What to do? Uh, well, this is actually something that's not uncommon, especially after I think this year may be a little bit worse than in past years. It is likely uh, anthracnose, which is a very common issue on sycamore. It causes the leaves to drop off uh, kind of late spring. Um, new ones will come back in their place from secondary buds. It's a fungal disease that attacks the new growth um, in the spring, and really wet springs are usually worse but we often see a little bit every year. And um, I suspect that's what's going on with these sycamore trees. And uh, the the good and the bad news is there's really nothing to do about it. Um, most sycamores are much too large mm-hmm. to treat with any kind of fungicide. And that window for effective uh, an effective application of that fungicide has long passed. So it doesn't do any good to spray anything now anyway. And even if you wanted to do something preventatively, it's, it's nearly impractical uh, because the trees are so large. The good part about that, though, is that this does not have uh, a long-term adverse effect on the tree. The tree will recover just fine. It just means that your tree is incredibly messy this time of year. Uh, which is a little bit of a downfall. But there's not much you can do about it. So um, clean up the leaves as best you can and then hope for weather conditions. Typically, drier springs mean less issues with anthracnose and sycamores. Um, But that has implications in other areas too. So I'm not going to wish for a dry spring. But uh, that's likely what's going on. There's nothing to do about it um, because it's not going to – it's not going to kill your tree. So, um, and it's very common. Uh, Ryman Gardens has uh, a very, uh, I think we have seven incredibly large sycamore trees in one part of the gardens. And uh, they are gorgeous, majestic, beautiful trees. They are also messy, messy, messy trees, and this anthracnose is one of the reasons why. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, sorry, I don't have better news there. <laughs> the harsh oh, reality. And just like that, it's the top of the hour already. It is. So um, we are going to break for the local and national news. We will be back to talk more gardening with you and uh, answer more of your questions here on this wonderfully sunny, uh, beautiful Sunday morning. I hope you're out and about enjoying the enjoying your garden, maybe even doing a little bit of work, being safe in the sun and the heat. We'll be back after the local and national news to talk more gardening here on Gardening Today, News Radio 1040. WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Aaron Style and Jessica Krupika here with you this morning talking about all things gardening here in Iowa. And we've been having a lot of wonderful calls. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot of really great things. Uh, it's summertime, and so we've been kind of talking about stuff in our garden that uh, makes us think of summertime. And uh, one of those is roses. And we had a nice uh, discussion earlier uh, in the show about roses. I put some information 
up on our website at whoradio.com if you want to go there and see a few roses uh, that work well. Both Jessica and I really love the Easy Elegance series, which were developed by Bailey Nurseries up in Minnesota. There's several very nice winter-hardy, disease-resistant, repeat-blooming roses. And I would say those three things are what you should look for in a rose here in Iowa. Once you find that, then pick the color. (laughs) Yes. So um, hopefully that will help. You know what we didn't talk about were um, knockout roses. And actually, it looks like we have a a caller who just joined us here, uh, Luann. So maybe we'll go to Luann's question, and then I can talk more about knockout roses too. So uh, good morning, Luann. You're on WHO. Hi. uh, I just wondered if you're supposed to deadhead knockout roses. They will rebloom better if you deadhead them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you have the time and you want to put uh, put that time into it, I think it's well worth it. Um, they will they, The plants themselves will look nicer throughout the summer because they'll be kind of cleaner in appearance, uh, and they should have better flush of blooms. They'll kind of go through little cycles. So you'll, you'll see a big flush of bloom, and then you'll deadhead, and then uh, you'll get another flush of bloom, and you'll probably do that at least uh, three times this summer, if not more. Um, but yeah, they, and, and with that said, if you don't deadhead, you'll still get a few blooms here or there, but maybe not quite as, uh, as many. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing I would add for Luann is that, um, if you stop deadheading and we do this at the gardens up at Ryman gardens, stop deadheading around the first part of September, and that should give you enough time for those roses to develop the really pretty orange rose hips, Yes, uh, which is the fruit. Which the wildlife sure loves. Yes, they so do. very important. If if that doesn't bother you, that works out well. Knockouts are also great for landscaping. That's why you see them on a lot of landscapes around town. And those don't have to be deadheaded. I mean, you don't have to, but if, as Aaron said, it's going to do better for you. The plant's going to be happier and healthier probably if you do deadhead. Yeah, yeah, and it'll look a little nicer too. The other thing that I've noticed about knockout, knockout by far is the most popular rose in the nursery industry for the last many years Mm -hmm. and it is very popular because it's profusely blooming it has beautiful pink flowers and it is disease resistant the one thing i will say however is that it is not as reliably hardy here in iowa especially in winters where we don't have good snow cover um, as some other shrub roses it is winter hardy but on an extreme winter we can see a lot of dieback on a knockout shrub and conversely, if it's not an extreme winter, uh, we will uh, not lose very much of that plant, too. So it can vary a lot in size. I've seen knockouts after mild winters that are almost four foot tall. And then after really rough winters, they can be knocked down to like two foot tall mm-hmm. so or shorter. So keep that in mind uh, as, you're, as you're using and, and uh, planting knockout roses. There are also um, other roses that are in that series uh, that are called knockouts, like double knockout, I see a lot. My favorite is actually rainbow knockout. I knew you were going to talk about I this. I know. I think it's a very <laughs> nice shrub rose. It has a it has a wonderful flower that changes color with age. So if you can find that, um, I, would, I would plant rainbow knockout over the classic, traditional uh, pink knockout any day. But the rainbows are a little harder to find. They are. I don't know why. I mean, they are. Um, they have better disease resistance. They tend to do a little bit better over the winter, and they have such interesting flowers. I don't know why it's harder to find rainbow than 
than the classic or even double. I see double knockout a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not as bright. I don't know. They're they're all really nice. I really mm-hmm. like them all. So yep. So um, hopefully that helps those who are out and about and uh, coming across knockout roses because you almost certainly are. We <laughs> guarantee it at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, we can. We guarantee it. <laughs> we right. also had a text come in from my neck of the woods in Lamar's Iowa. Well, uh, someone was wondering if they're why their onions have bolted and will they make bulbs? I'm sorry to say no. <laughs> on this uh go ahead and harvest them and treat them like a green onion at this point a lot of times people encounter that with onion sets you know those little dried bulbs you can buy in early spring or you can also buy the plants and we actually use the sets for green onions because they're more short-lived um the plants we use as our big onions you know for people to make sandwiches and everything else like that basically the reason why these are bolting is because of the the plant's under stress. It's probably the warm temperatures. Maybe it needs a little bit of water. Basically, that plant is stressed out and it's trying to reproduce, and that's why you're seeing this little flower stalk come up. So with those, I would suggest uh, go ahead and uh, you know harvest those as green onions and maybe look for plants if this is something you keep running across if you have trouble with. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is do a little bit of research on the cultivars, and sometimes this is really hard with onions. Uh, because most nurseries and stores do a really terrible job of telling us the actual cultivar of an onion. It just says red or yellow or white. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, making sure that you have long-day onions um, so that you get better bulbs is important. And there are a lot of uh, short-day onions out there, which are better suited for other parts of the country. And so um, if you have the wrong variety, that could be part of the issue too. Yes, and unfortunately, it's hard to tell sometimes. So you may not even know you have the wrong variety. Yeah. Some of the ones that we plant that we have good luck with are candy, which is a really sweet one. Candy copra, which is a storage. There's also like red zeppelin and sterling and some other ones that if you do a little bit of research, you can you know definitely hunt those down or mm-hmm. even buy those directly mm-hmm. from the onion farms in Texas. Yeah. And, you know, if you want nice big bulb onions, uh, spending a little bit of extra time and ordering uh, an appropriate cultivar instead of going to the feed store or going to um, the the store and just buying uh, something out of the out of the store that says white on it is probably going to be a better a better approach for you. Those ones that you get out of the store make excellent green onions, uh, but they can be a little bit more difficult. And I think it's one of the main frustrations people have with onions because they think they're going to get. And even the directions on the side of the package will say that you can do that, uh, but we don't have as good a success with that. So I would recommend investing some time, maybe not even money, just time. It's more time than anything. They're going to be about the same price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but investigating the time to find a good mail order source or a good nursery that will sell you some of those varieties that you mentioned earlier, Jessica. Yes. Cool. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, we got another text, too, from a listener in Des Moines. Um, I recently purchased a pagoda dogwood shrub from Bailey Nurseries that is five foot tall and six foot wide in a pot. I'm giving it uh, part sun and water, but cannot plant it for a few more days. Will it be okay? I was told it was grown in the pot. All right. Well, that's from Jay. And uh, yes, it will likely be okay. Um, The sooner you can get it in the ground, the better. Most stressful time to plant something is in summer. Um, And it's mostly because of the water and the temperatures. If... uh, it sounds like you're going to site it very well. Part Sun is a great spot for a pagoda dogwood. So um, 
it should be fine, especially just a couple of days. It should be fine. But get it in the ground as soon as you can. And in the interim, know that you might have to water that plant every day while it's in the container. Most nurseries are watering every day. Mm -hmm. Um, The soil that they grow in their containers, uh, they grow the plants that are in those containers, tends to be very well-drained and dries out very quickly. And uh, especially in weather that's very hot, um, you can run into a lot of issues. My plant holding area is in the shade, even for my sun plants, for this very reason. Now, once they get to their permanent home, they're not going to be in the shade. But um, make sure that you check it every day. All right. So let's see. We have, uh, oh, we have Bill join us on the line here. Let's go to his call and see what's on his mind. Good morning, Bill. You're on WHO. Well, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing great. What can we help you with? Well, just uh, one question and a comment. Um, I heard you talking about killing weeds. <laughs> yep. And, and I've been battling in my little garden area morning glories forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, but secondly, I uh, heard on your show well over a year ago about strawbell gardening. Mm-hmm. And I actually tried it this year, and uh, I haven't harvested a lot but so far. So good. Really? And, nice. And then I'm going to go out and do some weeding myself. But the good thing is, um, and of course, I use a lot of grass clippings for mulch, and I do not, uh, I fertilize my well, yard but i don't i make sure there's no herbicides in it but uh, um instead of hoeing and pulling weeds i weed eat mm. okay I take, I take my little weed eater out there and 10 minutes i'm done <laughs> well and you know it's interesting i went to a talk not too long ago and it's just this idea that um you know, in nature, there's no bare soil. There's always something that covers it up. And we often try to create ground and gardens that have bare soil. And that's that's always going to be an uphill battle. Um, and what fills in the areas are what we would typically call weeds. So if you get good results and that works well for you, Bill, it sounds like a good approach for you. Yeah, like I said, this first year I've tried it. I've had the same garden plot for almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. I really haven't done a lot with it. I tried, and I did half uh, traditional garden so far, and the other half the straw bale garden. Um, and then I stockpiled my grass clippings, and mm-hmm. uh, like I said, so far, so good. But it's great to hear. It's a long ways to fall, of course. <laughs> it's always good to try new things. That's part of the fun about this whole process of gardening. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's it's uh it's been a good adventure for you. Yeah, the only problem with the straw bale gardens is they are kind of water intensive. Mm-hmm. I figured out. Yep. So that is true. But otherwise, I got the best looking tomato plants I have ever had. So. <laughs> That is great. Well, uh, let us know later in the season here uh, how how that tomato harvest went. I shall do that. All right. Thanks for the call, Bill. All right. And with that, we need to take our next break. Richard, I see you on the line there. We will answer your question and any others you may have here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040, WHO. 
Welcome back on this steamy Sunday morning. Jessica Kropika here along with Aaron Style. It is officially summertime. And uh, we had Richard join us, maybe looking for some suggestions. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Um, our house faces northwest, and we have a beautiful ornamental in our front yard that smells so good when it blooms. We've actually had people come over just to, just to smell the tree. Um, but it totally <laughs> shades underneath our bay window in our living room. Uh, we have a bed that used to have some spirea in it, and I think as the tree grew, it, it shaded out, and then the spirea uh, died. Um, so I have this, this nice bed underneath my bay window that's totally shaded. Uh, it may get filtered sunlight through the tree. And so I'm looking for something to put in there, and I know that you know the hostas are always a good thing, but yeah. I've got hostas in several other places. So I'm looking for something to put in this bed that will stay fairly short, maybe have some blooms, but it's going to be either just slight filtered sun or total shade. Um, what can what can you help me out with? So um, how much how high up can it go? Uh, let's say probably 12 to 15 inches max. We'd okay. rather not have it touching the mm-hmm. you know touching the house or the bay window that type of thing. So. And I would suspect that this area is fairly dry as well, right? Uh, being under, yes, I could, I could water it, but yes, it would probably be dry. Yeah. Okay. So dry shade is probably one of the toughest spots for any plant. Most plants are not going to want, uh, want to be in a situation like that. There are a few that will tolerate it. And you already mentioned one of them, hosta. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's, that's a possibility. Some others that I would look into, um, would be, uh, pig squeak or burginia. Um, it does get a flower, but it probably won't flower very well in that situation, but it'll it'll have nice leaves. The leaves are semi-evergreen. They turn red in the fall. Uh, so that's a that's a, a shiny and green. That's an option. Beautiful foliage would be uh, would be an option. Yeah. Um, other ones uh, that tend to do well in this type of situation would be things like uh, spotted dead nettle, which is a terrible name, uh, but it is <laughs> a, a ground cover um, uh, lamium is is uh the scientific name on that plant uh that one will tolerate those conditions fairly well it has very pretty leaves and usually greens and silvers um there's also yellow archangel which is a close relative to spotted dead nettle um there's pachysandra which has a nice green shiny leaf on it Uh, all of those would tolerate that situation well they would all be happier with more moisture and maybe a little bit more light, but we'll tolerate this situation. So, um, and then okay. the, the other one that I would add to that list is epimedium, or uh, what some people call bishop's hat. Um, that would be uh, another ground cover that stays pretty short, just like the others. Uh, that would tolerate dry shade well. Do you have any to add to the list? Those Jessica? were I, those I are really your go tos. Like, yes. I really like the bishops one the best. I it, would think. You know, there's a there's a, there's a few woody plants, but they're going to get too big for you. I think. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, sure, yeah. um, the only one that would maybe work, it wouldn't bloom as well, but would tolerate that situation and not get too big is St. John's Wort. Um, okay. St. John's Wort is often sold as a full sun plant because it definitely does best in the full sun, but it'll tolerate that condition. So that might be okay. an option too. Thank you so much for the thank you so much for the options there. I've, I've kind of written these down as we've been along. And the bishop's hat sounds very interesting to me. Yep. Um, one more quick one around my mailbox. I have planted vinca in the past, and I've also had um, this past year. I had the uh, Arizona sun 
for the last couple of years, the Arizona Sun Gallardia. I just absolutely love that. But oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of that really bad winter we had. It's kind of died back. And I've been looking at something new, and I've been thinking about putting Celosia around my mailbox, uh, you know, keeping it watered well. Would that be a good idea or, or not? Yeah. Is it in full sun? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a great full sun annual. Okay, great. Yep. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Happy gardening, Richard. All right. So um, let's see. What else were we going to talk about here? Oh, um, I haven't mentioned it this hour yet, but I have a few photos up online. Um, I was gone for a week at a conference in Miami. I know you're you're really, you're I, really I feeling know. my a whole week in Miami at a conference. <laughs> 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 it was um it was actually the uh, American Public Gardens Association uh, annual conference this year. It was in Miami, and uh, I had a chance to uh, visit several gardens, and I put a couple photos up. Uh, and today seems like a great day to talk about because I went down to Miami and it felt kind of like what it does today down there. So uh, I, I, I did not bring it back with me because it came here before I came home. So no, you don't have to blame me for that. But when I got home, uh, there wasn't much difference in the weather I was experiencing here versus down there. Uh, but I had some wonderful photos from some great gardens. If you're ever down on uh, in the Miami area, there are actually several wonderful gardens down there. The ones I got to visit, uh, the big one in the Miami area is Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden, and I had a photo there. Um, They have a wonderful collection of plants. The other thing that I found very interesting about my visit there was um, they have a lot of iguanas. And uh, iguanas are not native, of course, to Florida. They actually, um, I think they escaped from the pet trade and live in southern Florida. They're actually an incredible nuisance to gardeners in in South Florida. And uh, it's just, it's kind of crazy to walk around this place and see these like dragon-like lizards all over the place. And they can get quite big with time. So, um, uh, you know, I have rabbits, but I think I'm a little thankful I don't have iguanas. <laughs> iguanas and rabbits. I yeah, don't know. no, that would be awful. Um, so that Fairchild was a great stop for me. I also went to Vizcaya, which is a former estate of uh, John Deering, um, which is International Harvester. Mm-hmm. So this estate is unbelievable, just a beautiful spot. And they've done a wonderful job of um, maintaining the house and grounds um, as uh, John Deering would have done in uh, the late teens and early 20s uh, when he built the estate in Miami. So uh, that was a wonderful stop. I also got a chance to go to Mount's Botanical Garden, which is actually in West Palm Beach. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Beach, a, a couple, like an hour and a half drive away, I think. And that was a beautiful spot, too. Uh, lots of great. Kampung is another one that's down in the Miami area that I didn't get a chance to see, but I'll have to the next time I go down. <laughs> um, 
that a lot of other folks got a chance to go look at. We also, some of my coworkers got to go to some of the tropical nurseries that we get a lot of our stuff for our conservatory and summer shows from. So that mm-hmm. I think was really fun for them to see. They were most impressed with uh, Bullis Bromeliads. I don't know if you've ever dealt no. with Bullis. Oh, no, no, no. What a cool spot. They had, um, they had some great photos uh, from their visit there. So that nursery is so beautiful. They actually do weddings at it. Really? As an alternate source of income. Maybe you should think about that for the farm. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to deal with brides? Well, no, it's not that. I'm just saying I don't know if brides want to deal with like lamb's quarters and purse lane and all these other all these no, other. No, you just got to find the right bride, things. Jessica. Some brides will do that. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want a rustic lamb's quarter amaranth event, call, you know, call me up. Maybe make me your first call. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, I have some photos from that trip uh, to Miami up on our website at WHO Radio. Dot com. Uh, <laughs> if you ever get a chance to go down in that neck of the woods, I would encourage you to look up those gardens and take a peek at them because uh, they were definitely some beautiful spots uh, for us to see. What else is on the – what else did I – oh, I got home. Event. Yeah, I got home, and I was able to pick some strawberries. Um, I will say, full disclosure, I have a picture of my strawberries, and um, that was um, not all of them. I – Maybe had ate some of them before I realized I should take a photo. So um, I have a very small patch of strawberries at home. It's just kind of a a little, you know, have something for ice cream or a dessert kind of patch. I'm not looking to get a ton of strawberries out of it. But uh, it is nice to have those nice, fresh, um, homegrown strawberries. It's a night and day difference, isn't it, mm-hmm. from the grocery store ones? Yeah. So, so uh, if you um, – mine are ever-bearing type. I also have some alpine strawberries that I got from Nan Ripley, who's been on the program before. She was very kind to give me some of those. And they look great, but they haven't quite uh, fruited yet. They're a little bit behind these other ones. And uh, my whole strawberry patch is a little behind, I think, a lot of other people's strawberry patches. I mean, you've been – harvesting strawberries for a while now probably we have been in fact our varieties are starting to dwindle down Mm -hmm. so i know the berry patch is still open in nevada so i'm hoping to go out maybe tuesday and wednesday to go grab some strawberries yeah that sounds good so uh, i put some i put a nice little photo up on the website and there's some information about strawberries to help you get started if you'd like to start your own patch at home uh and uh what to do with them throughout the season so that you can have strawberries year after year so and some good suggested varieties for iowa that's probably the best advice that's in in that link Mm -hmm. all right with that we're going to take a break we'll be back to talk more gardening and to answer your gardening questions here on gardening today news radio 1040 who welcome back to gardening today jessica krapika and Erin style with you this weekend Eileen has the weekend off and will be here with us next week. But in the meantime, I noticed we had Sue on the line. Good morning, Sue. How could we help you today? Well, I just recently made a trip to um, England and fell in love with the bluebells. I want to know if I can plant English bluebells in my garden here and if they would do well. Yeah, English bluebells are going to be a little challenging for us here in Iowa. Um, most of the time, uh, they love that uh, kind of that kind of cool uh, long season that they have uh, in England. And for us here in Iowa, our hot summers are really rough on them. Um, and so, if you did want to try them, um, you could um, find. I would probably 
I'll look for a nice part shade organic, uh, a part shade environment with organic soil and uh, use that as a starting point uh, to to plant them. But uh, yeah, the, the English bluebell in, in Iowa can be a little bit more challenging. If you want something that looks similar, that has a, a sort of a, a similar appearance, the Virginia bluebell is mm-hmm. very uh, well suited for us here. And so that's always an option too. And that's kind of a native woodland plant. Again, it would like the same kind of conditions, um, kind of part shade, nice organic moist soil the flower is a little bit different but it it's is a, a little different it's nice it's a nice this a similar color i will take a look at that i i just fell in love with that yeah there's just there, there's just acres of, i mean it's, it's just amazing so i know it's my own little patch of heaven but i guess not did you get to see the chelsea flower show is that why you were over there well no i didn't get to the, see the chelsea uh i was down in in cornwall um uh, on the coast, and and it's just my friend that lives there. I mean, you you just can't drive anywhere without seeing hundreds of them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we did go to a um, um, a bluebell glen where the ground was just covered with them. Yeah. Stunning. It's enchanting for sure. And, and you know, uh, in England and, and much of the U.K., their gardening culture is very different than ours. Uh, everybody has a little garden, and gardening is, they have a different approach to it because their weather is different there. So uh, they're able to do some things we would never do. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. It got to uh, 80 degrees there the, the other day, and my friends were wishing they had an air conditioner. I just laughed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, we... <laughs> they have nice, cool, long summers, and that makes a difference for plants like bluebells. All right. Well, thank you so much for the advice. Yep. Thanks, Sue. Yep. All right. And, uh, oh, we have Judy on the line. Let's go to Judy's question. Good morning, Judy. You're on WHO. Good morning. Um, I'm on my car phone because I'm on my way home from church catching the last of your show, which I love. Um, I remember last year you talked about, or whoever was on the show, talked about the peonies and that that white stuff that they they get that I don't know. Yeah, like, powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. Mildew, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, oh my gosh, mine is even worse this year. How do we treat that, or what do we do? Well, um, for most in most situations, it's a combination of a site that's not ideal and wet conditions. And we did have a fairly wet spring uh, this year. And in particular, if they're not in, uh, are these plants in, in a lot of sun or they, uh, do they get shaded throughout the day? No, they're totally in full totally, sun. Okay, so that helps. Um, are they close to each other? You know what? They're actually kind of in a, and it's just like a single roll, roll mm-hmm. behind three big rocks in my rock, in my garden. Okay. So, so no, they're not like, uh, front to back to each other they're side by side sure um usually the main culprits and the the things that we can suggest uh to help uh, peonies uh when they when this pops up is uh, make sure that they're in full sun a lot of us plant peonies and then there's such a long-lived perennial that we don't realize they're in part shade uh over time doesn't sound like that's the case for you so then the next uh step is to um increase air circulation um, and so if you have a lot of plantings around it or if they're very close together, thinning out the plantings around or um, uh, digging and dividing the peonies, uh, which you wouldn't do now, you would do that in the fall, um, would be an option too. Peonies 
typically don't love to be moved, and if you don't have to move them, I wouldn't. But uh, if you're running into this issue year after year after year, uh, that could be a big um, that could be an approach. Uh, the other thing that we would suggest for folks to do is just to make sure you do good fall cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, get rid of that fungus as much as you can, so it, it's not. There's not as much of it around to impact the plants, the new growth, the following spring. Um, in general, this isn't going to bring down your peony. Um, peonies are, are, are vigorous and healthy and, and do well enough that powdery mildew isn't going to be an issue for them in terms of killing them. It is, it is unsightly. So um, if you have particularly bad sections, you can always prune those out and get rid of those leaves too. Okay, so... You know, once the peonies are all done blooming, how how do we trim them back? I mean, I, I presume we don't trim them down to the ground, you know, pretty short because they need probably the whatever they can get right. the nutrition mm-hmm. from their leaves and stuff. But what's a good height? Because mine are always, I mean, this year, just because of all the nice moisture we've had, they were, they were just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. They're always so tall. I want to put them in tomato cages so they'll stay up. Well, you know they they sell. I mean, they sell peony rings for this very reason. Often the flowers get so heavy they flop over very easily, um, uh-huh. and so um, most people it's it's either a ring or a ring with a grid in it that you put over the plant uh, first thing in the spring. The stems grow up through it. It helps keep them upright, uh, uh-huh. especially when they're in flower. Um, you can also use branches to help you with the same thing if you like the more rustic look. Um, in terms of pr- pruning them back, really the only thing you need to do is remove the old flowers. Deadheading. Yeah, mm-hmm. deadhead. Okay. Okay. So just go through, and actually that would be good for the plant. That The plant can then focus sure. on its, its vegetative growth and its root growth and not producing seed, which you don't need out of the plant. Okay, well, I appreciate that information so much because they, are, they were so beautiful. Um, may I ask you another question? Sure. It's kind of been an ongoing problem for me. I have quite a few clematis in my backyard along of the south and the west fence that are, is wood, and they do very well. But I've had trouble with, like, whether it's a fungus or something like that, and I've noticed that it kind of started again. And um, I think daconil was something that was something that I could do. Is it possible that that can be, like, in the root system, or is it just more a topical thing? And I know to, you know, clean up all the leaves in the fall, and I cut, a, I cut them down a lot to get rid of that because it just seems to start at the, the base and work its way up. And so I've been trying to be very diligent in removing those leaves and getting rid of them. But any suggestion on that? I mean, it could it be in the root system? Do I need to try to... Do something that would prevent it if it's in the roots, or is it just, I mean, they get brown leaves right. and, and dry up and fall off and look ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you may have what is is out there, although I wouldn't expect it to happen from the bottom up, but a sudden, if the, the whole plant kind of suddenly, or big sections of the plant suddenly collapse, uh, there is a um, there is a disease called clematis wilt, that we do see uh, from time to time here in Iowa on on clematis, um, and uh, that is a, a fungus. It basically clogs up the, the the vascular tissue, the water conducting tissue in the plant. So um, we would see kind of this very dramatic and sudden death in the in what's there. Uh, usually, the best way to approach that is 
some of what you're doing already. Um, a lot of times uh, it will sacrifice a year or two's worth of flower, but if you can cut it off very close to the base and remove all of that material, you can usually, the clematis plant will outgrow it. It is something that is in the stems of the plant. That's why it's causing the problems. So if it is clematis wilt, that's usually a good approach. Um, you can put down some preventative fungicides as well. Um, so some folks will remove the disease stems and then spray anything that's remaining with a fungicide to help with that. Um, okay. But uh, it, it it is something that happens with clematis. Usually just the, the removal of all that material and then letting it recover from the root system um, solves the problem. Okay, thank you so much for that advice because I really love them and I, you know, I hate to see them <laughs> suffer, so to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, I will try to... Do, do my due diligence. Thank you so very much. Yep. Thanks for the call. All right. And uh, we have Bud join us on the line. See if we can't talk to Bud here before our next break. Good morning. You're on WHO. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, hey, I got a question about tree trimming. Uh, we've got some rather large silver maples in the backyard. Uh, we had tree service come out and trim our birch trees out front, and they did a, a you know a really good job. And I'm kind of a DIY guy, so. Uh, I, how late is too late in the year? Or what's the best time of the year for trimming? So, so the best time of the year is going to be late winter. It's going to be March. Um, oh, okay. If if you can wait until then, that will be best. Um, if you have broken branches, if you have stuff that um, is dead, you can prune that stuff out now. You can prune that stuff out anytime. Um, if you have some very minor pruning that you want to do, say you got one branch that whacks you in the face every time you mow, you could do that now. Um, but any, yeah, I've done that. I've done that in the past. I haven't noticed any uh, significant, yeah, you know, yeah, problem. But I wanted to be a, maybe a little bit more aggressive and trim up, a, you know, maybe another foot. Uh, you know, maybe not take out major branches, but some you know intertwining branches and things like that. Yeah, and uh, just kind of thin it out more. But you think it's better to wait until. If, if you can, that would be ideal. The worst time is actually uh, late summer into fall. So if you had to get it done, if you wanted to do some a little bit of work now, you could. It wouldn't have a lot of adverse effects. Um, I would absolutely avoid like September, October. That that time sure. frame is really rough um, when you do it. Stealing, what about stealing up the, uh, the cuts with like that spray stuff, with the talent spray paint? No. Usually um, I would not do that. Um, uh, if you make a good, yeah, that's in general for all trees. There are very few exceptions where that's recommended. Uh, the only one that I know of for sure is on oak trees that are pruned when the beetle that transmits oak wilt is active. Um, not a that problem. Would, okay. Yeah, that's not a problem with silver maples. So uh, that stuff tends to get in the way of the tree doing its natural process and has um, probably is actually a negative. Like it'll actually hurt the tree uh, more than sure. it will help. What about ornamental pear? Same story. Same story. Yep. Okay. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Good luck, bud. Yep. All right. And with that, we'll take our next break. We'll be back to talk more gardening here on Gardening Today. News Radio 1040 WHO. Welcome back to Gardening Today. Our, some of our last few final moments. This program always seems to go so quickly. I know. Every week it just it, disappears. It does. It goes really <laughs> fast. I guess that means we're having fun, right? It is. We yeah. are. We are. We had a listener in Des Moines, Texas, not long ago. 
wondering if uh, motor oil can be used to kill weeds in an area of the property without having the EPA jumping on his case, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can motor oil be used to kill weeds? What My answer is very simple. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's other I ways. Mean, There's and, other and ways. Honestly, it's, uh, EPA aside, it, it is, uh, it's going to have such negative impacts on the soil and the, the area around that plant. It's just, it's just not a good approach. No. Nope. Just no. 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 There's other ways. There's other <laughs> ways out there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. All right. And we have gotten a few emails, right? We have, yes. Maybe we can answer at least one of them here yes. before the one end. One of here. our listeners in the Carroll area has a hibiscus. It's getting a lot of yellow leaves, but it has started blooming. It is in the sun in the morning, but not in the afternoon. She gives it a little water, and I'm worried about the yellow leaves. Yeah. So my experience with tropical hibiscus, I think, and it's it's pretty typical, mm-hmm. uh, this plant pouts a lot anytime conditions change. And so uh, it is not uncommon for this plant to lose a lot of leaves, especially if you're moving it from indoor to outdoor. Um, and so when it gets that transition from the relatively um, low light indoors, even in the brightest window, it's going to be l- much lower light than than most spots outdoors. So um, I would say, you know, most tropical hibiscus like it a little on the wet side, although unless it's in a very tiny pot, water every day might be a little more than it needs. Um, but again, they would be happier wetter than drier. So um, that's an okay approach as long as it's not sitting in water all the time. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about the yellowing leaves uh, yet. If you're continuing to have, especially since it's probably only a couple of weeks, um, maybe three or four weeks since it's been outside, it's trying to adjust to its new um, conditions from wherever it was before, whether that was a greenhouse at a nursery, whether that was in the dark inside of a Lowe's or some other big box store, mm-hmm. whether that was your basement because you overwintered it or a sunny room uh, somewhere in your house, all of them will be a change. And hibiscus, the tropical hibiscus, just um, kind of like weeping fig. Mm-hmm. Um are notorious for dropping their leaves anytime they change. The fact that it's blooming is good. Uh, you probably could give it a little bit of fertilizer. It would probably happy a general all-purpose uh, balanced fertilizer at half strength. Uh, maybe once a month would be good for it, um, and that might help with those conditions too. But yellowing leaves are like one of the most ubiquitous mm-hmm. um things that you'll see on a plant so that alone doesn't tell us much about what might be causing the problem but um because it could be too wet it could be too dry it could be a change in uh, light conditions it could be a whole ho- it could be low fertilization it could be a whole host of things so just making sure that it's as happy as it can be not being overwatered, um, um let it give it time to adjust and uh hopefully just uh, go from there yes Sometimes hibiscus do look a little rough, you know, when they're being transitioned to their summer vacation homes. So just give it a little bit of time and yeah. a little fertilizer like Aaron suggested. Yeah, hopefully that'll help them out. Mm-hmm. All right. And just like that, here we are at the top of the hour. I uh, want to thank everybody for calling in. We had a wonderful conversation today. And uh, uh, Jessica and Eileen will be back next week to talk more with you and answer more of your questions so uh, thanks to Shelby for running the program in the background and thanks to all of you we'll talk again in one week here on Gardening Today News Radio 1040 WHO 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.